Hello, I'm Juliet Jakes, welcoming you back to the Suite 212 sessions. As those of you who've listened to previous episodes will know, our plan to relaunch Suite 212 as a fortnightly show with alternating free and subscriber-only episodes were put on hold by the coronavirus epidemic, which has brought much of the United Kingdom's cultural life to a standstill. Instead, I'm recording a series of interviews with contemporary artists, writers, filmmakers and others about their work conducted via Skype so apologies in advance for the diminished audio quality, and more spontaneous than our usual output. The idea is to give a snapshot of the arts in the United Kingdom and beyond in the 21st century to individual conversations with people about their work, seeing which political concerns engage them and how the socio-economic conditions of the time have affected their practices. All of these will be made available for free via SoundCloud, but I would still encourage you to subscribe at patreon.com slash sweet212 as they still take time to plan and record. You can also make a one-off donation at donorbox.org slash suite-212. Today, I'm talking to Nada Prulia, an artist whose work deals with the complex situations of inequality and injustice in society, ranging from political to economic issues. Using different media, her projects are multi-layered, site or condition specific, and are mainly installations, video installations, live art and public art, challenging critical discourses around issues of current politics, nationalism, human rights, migration, and the transition of ex-socialist countries. Born in Sarajevo, Nada lived in Skopje between 1981 and 1988, when she moved to London, where she later studied at the Royal College of Art. She has been based in Copenhagen since 2018. Her work was included in the film programme of the 5th Moscow Biennale, as well as the 7th Berlin Biennale and Manifesto 8, and she represented the Republic of North Macedonia in the 58th Venice Biennale in 2019 with her project Subversion to Red. So Nada, welcome to Suite 212. Hi, thank you. <laughs> it's great to be here in the line with all these great artists you had on the show previously, like Smina Cibic, Jeremy Deller and others, so thank you. Yeah, well, I was very keen to add you to the, the series, which is going to continue beyond the, I was going to say beyond the end of the COVID-19 pandemic, but who knows when that will be. But we will be um, running these continuously because listeners have really enjoyed them. So it's, uh, it's great mm. to uh, have you in our first series. We often start these conversations actually by talking about the COVID crisis. But I think in your case, it'd be nice to start off by talking about something you did only last year, but which, given the weird rupture in time that the COVID crisis has brought about, probably feels like a lifetime ago, which was your project representing the Republic of North Macedonia at the Venice Biennale just last year. So I wondered if we could talk first about your project, which is called Subversion to Red. And perhaps if you could just start off by just explaining what it was, because it was more like a sort of solo exhibition of your work, wasn't it? Yes. In a way, in Northern Macedonia, it's a very unusual, the process of accepting artists for representation of Macedonia. So it's very different than in UK. So I think it's worth mentioning. So for example, the first thing which would be, the process would be that they would uh, announce open call for artists to apply to represent the, the country. So in a way that opens the doors for many artists to apply, which is very democratic. 
But at the same time, because of the, the fact that the requirements are very high, so in a way, not many artists could apply. So this year, or last year, sorry, there were three artists which were pre-selected, and I was the one who was selected to represent Macedonia. We had this, that opportunity because the call was announced very late, so like in October of 2018. We all had the chance to read the concept of interesting times by Dugov, and in a way we could respond to the actual call. And when I was thinking about what could be the most appropriate for those like interesting times, I was tempted to go back into history and somehow think about what were those interesting times in the context of the country, but also in the context of, of social and political systems. The answer for me was very easy, and that was going to subversion to red. It's a project that I started in 2013, and the first time it happened in, in a Calvert 22, the gallery in London that do not exist anymore, and it has continued its existence through Calvert Journal. And in a way, going back to those interesting times, the socialist times, to the time of ex-Yugoslavia was something which was at the same time quite questionable, provocative in terms of this North Macedonian context, because in the recent times, the society and the, the, the political system, I mean, political parties in the Macedonia, were much more interested in going back to really <laughs> history of ancient Macedonia, rather than going back to this recent 20th century history, which is very important and it has in a way influenced the formation of of this new Macedonian which have influenced the, the I mean me personally and everybody who is who is living in the country. So I was I kind of in a way very orthodoxly <laughs> went against the grain and selected this topic because I think it's it was relevant for uh, North Macedonia to in a way look back into its own history, but also at the same time, I felt that those are, there are some points in the history which were so easily erased and that we can somehow internationally on a global scale rethink them in a way, especially through culture and through art where we have in, uh, somehow scope to discuss things openly. So that was somehow in a way a beginning of the, of the project. Yeah, and I know the project brought in a mixture of performance, discussion, mm -hmm. sculpture, photography. So maybe you would like to you know, explain a bit more about each of those mm -hmm. constituent elements of the project mm -hmm. and how they fit mm -hmm. it together. I visited Venice Biennale as all we did many times. And in a way, I was always against the fact that sometimes we would have just one single big object. And that would always happen because everybody knows that you just have very limited time when you're in seeing pavilions in Venice Biennale. So this is something which easily communicate with the audience. And in a way, I, I felt that somehow that underestimates the actual audience who likes to be provoked, who likes to see the variety of things and the variety of creative expressions. So therefore I said, it's a probably, I would like to talk on a different levels. So 
maybe somebody would find interesting to watch a video. Maybe somebody would enjoy somehow to think about the sculptural works or enjoy them. Or maybe some people would find something intriguing in the photographs of the workshop that I did. Also, not only because of this variety of artistic expressions, but also because all of them talk about the same topic, talk about the idea of how we can try to think about socialism in different manners. And they were all those different artworks having created at different times. So they also create the actual the discussion work on the different levels and they work with the different mediums. They work with the different topics, but they somehow still stay same within, within the same framework. So for example, first maybe it would be also interesting to explain that North Macedonia, I think we had maybe 10 presentations since North Macedonia was represented in Venice Biennale as an independent country. And in a way, it was very important to be visible, but due to the fact that North Macedonia do not have a pavilion, so the artists and the curators and organizing museums were always obliged to look for a specific space to exhibit the work. Last two biennales, there was a specific space within Arsenale, and I presume this was probably easier in terms of the public would see pavilion and uh, somehow the pavilion was in a single room, but because my idea was to have this larger exhibition with more different artworks, somehow the small spaces of Arsenale, which were like, I don't know, 50, 60 square meters, as much as Macedonia government would be able to, to afford, was not somehow something that was interesting or appealing to me. And because my work is very site-specific, so I always, I have to find the ideal space to somehow would communicate with the work itself. And I also like this playfulness. <laughs> and what, uh, what I have done for Venice presentation, I have found really beautiful palazzo in the center of Venice. But the palazzo is a little bit run down. So it's not this like a perfect, shiny and beautiful palazzo, but it's, a, it's of course beautiful, but you can see the cracks and you can see the floors which are not even. And so it was something that for me was very much <laughs> somehow something which represented this, let's say, society, which is somehow similar to this palazzo somehow not perfect and with this in insertion of this artworks in a, in a way it was a, a way to show that somehow this need could be upgraded in a some in a different way in the actual palazzo there were i think about six seven rooms and each room had a different project and as you entered the first what you can see and i mean when you enter the space it's super beautiful hall which has frescoes or wall painting decorative wall painting which was made i think seven in 17 or 18th century so very floral beautiful drawings and in a way for me to playfully i added a photographs of a workshop which i did in tirana which was again quite provocative workshop i was invited by adela de metia with her gallery called Tirana Art Lab. So I was invited to do a workshop with young art students. And then, of course, we were talking about 
subversion to red. We were talking about rethinking socialism, which is uh, in Albania a very different context than talking about socialism with somebody who is coming from ex-Yugoslavia. Because in Albania, anything to do with socialism is no-go zone because of the, the, the very restrictive measures that they have during that historical times. So talking with art students <laughs> who would like to escape everything which is related to it was a challenging. So the first, what I did is I somehow came up with the idea which Boris Budin is talking quite often about the socialism with the human face. And then I first engaged in like a workshop with the students where we tried to communicate, we tried, we hugged, we kissed, we tried to somehow put our bodies closer together and so on. And the second step was that we went uh, to National Gallery in Tirana, which is one of the most recognized uh, museums, but uh, in the backyard of the actual museum. They have these sculptures, the monuments of Stalin, Lenin, even Enver Hoxha, which is covered so it stays safe, not demolished. So we went there and then I tried to play again, same things that we did during this workshop between us. So to try to imitate the positions of the sculptures, to hug them and to interact with them and to think about the past. <laughs> the result were this quite bizarre set of, of images when you at the same time feel this happiness with these young people, but at the same time you feel this unease. And the result was quite, I think, beautiful. So as, as the entrance to the pavilion, you first see this set of photographs, which somehow are juxtaposed with these beautiful paintings on the, on the wall. And at the same time, they are made to clash one another. So whole project is somehow has this weird clash. In the second room, there was a big table, table which is called Red Discussion 2, and we will probably talk a little bit more in detail about that. So I will, uh, I will talk about that later. Then the next following room had a video screening, of, um, which was filmed as another experiment which shows engagement between two girls where they try to paint themselves in red and somehow to make re-alive some of the texts from the French Revolution. So the idea was, how can we react some of the histories? And this was, again, one of the projects I sometimes, instead of produce, not producing, but instead of working by myself, myself concretely, I invite others. But I don't invite them as actors. I invite them to work as a creative beings, and then they try to respond to certain questions and some dilemmas and things that I would discuss with them. So those two artists that I worked with were again, students of, at RCA. And then we found nice well, how to collaborate and talk about those issues. And then were, their suggestion was to do this red body painting while trying to re-engage with those topics from the French Revolution. The next rooms, and I will very briefly just mention that they were all classical sculptures. And it was, for me, probably first or second time to work with the classical mediums. I 
really don't work with a classical medium of sculpture or painting in a classical way. But as I very much work site-specifically, I also work in a way that I use different mediums. So there is no borders for me and I would never say I'm, I do one thing, I'm just a painter or I'm just do sculptures because I always feel that for different problems we need to react differently. And then for this project, because I talked about the position of the artist in Yugoslavia and I refer specific sculptures, there was a, my need to express myself in a form of sculpture in order to be able to somehow represent the work by these other artists. So the last rooms were mainly sculptures and some, some kind of paintings that somehow referred more to this political system and the ways how artists worked during the time of Yugoslavia and how the artists worked, not that much during the time of Yugoslavia, but how they were working in Yugoslavia during the time of socialism. So this was somehow <laughs> as much as I can explain the project without us seeing things. And of course, it was a very somehow rich project, quite colorful if you talk about this artistic methods and means. And it was also uh, uh, somehow supported by artistic book, which I created specifically for this project, which was full of different small books that represented each project, or that included different writings from the, from the socialist times, especially about the relation between the government and the cultural workers, which was, I think, very important and crucial for our times, especially maybe even for time even times of corona where, where that link is not strong anymore as i felt that the link between the, the governmental decisions about culture was very much related to the actual practitioners so yeah yeah i mean there's there's a lot to unpack there and i do want to spend, <laughs> yeah. spend some more spend some more time oh. with the project um so mm. you mentioned the red discussion uh -huh. too mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. conversation program that took place Mm -hmm. at the Biennale and mm -hmm. you know this involved um, amongst other people the socialist theorist Chantal Mouffe yes. a lot of yes. listeners but um, several other mm -hmm. people as well so maybe you could yes. talk a bit more about what those discussions were like what the sort of themes of the discussions were mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and why why having that discussion program was important for the project Yes, so in, in a way for me and uh, for all the visitors and the, all the people that reviewed the work, that was the, the, the main aspect of the whole presentation. And in a way, the performativity of the project itself was something which I felt is a very important for the, the, the Venice Biennale. And this live event uh, happened at the day of the opening. I still remember the date. This, that was the 8th of May 2019. <laughs> so, uh, and it was in a way, as I mentioned, it wasn't the first time that this discussion, that's why it's called second red discussion two. First time it was played in one London, UK, and it was a, in a way, all of the project is the idea was to gather this theorist and to somehow give them a floor to explain or, or to describe what they feel it's, a, it's a very important for contemporary society 
of course, looking back in the socialist times, but also talking about the theory of the left and thinking about which specific aspects could be replayed, reactivated, or even which are the ones which are worthless today. And in a way that they're to create this quite a complex performative piece, there were many, I was inspired by many, many different things. But if I think about it and how it is played, it's very, I think, the difference between what could be, if we think about, okay, we have this five important theorists of politics, also some cultural workers together. And why this is different than just having just a conference and then they can say whatever they want to. The difference is that in a way, this is artistic work and it's a very performative. And for me and for, um, I presume, the audience, this is what creates this to be very different than any other, let's say, presentation. So how it worked, there is a table which is specifically designed for this event and the legs of the actual table are in the in the shape of the red star but because when you look from the top because there is a top that joins these corners of the table you don't notice that red star so therefore also the shape becomes different so the, sh the shape of the it's not anymore star but it's something else which again talks about the fact that i'm interested in not looking at this old fashion let's say, aspect of Marxism or socialism, but in a, I'm interested in looking at something else. So the table is a flat surface, which has like opening in the middle. And in the middle, there, there is a moderator and somebody who is writing everything. He takes notes of what is happening on, on the table, what is the discussion about, and so on and so on. And what is this subversion in this act is that this person who is in the middle, of course, he's, he has his own dynamic while he's writing and he can catch something, not catch everything. And then the notes actually become this weird art piece where we have a words that means something. At the same time, some of the other words do not mean something. So he creates this writing which stays inscribed on the table with a white uh, marker on a red background. And in a way, it gives you certain ideas about this possible future, but also creates you to be a little bit confused about this future. So not, nothing is prescribed. And this, this is somehow what is quite beautiful about this object that stays in a gallery. But what happens during the event? The person is inside, as I mentioned, he writes, takes notes. And uh, then we have uh, five people around the table and they all have a different background. It, it's a very mixed group. So in the discussion too, we had uh, Chantal Mouffe, as you mentioned, and she was talking about the hegemony and agonism. And then we had, for example, we had art workers like Laura Rejkovic, she talked about the care and collectivity. And of course, they all expand on those ideas. Then uh, we had Maurizio, uh, Maurizio Lazaretto, who was talking about the revolution and the war. And he was 
the voice of negative conscience. Let's say he was somebody who would oppose others quite a lot and create this dynamic in this dialogue between the speakers. Then we had the Charles Sesham, who is director of another museum. So of course, as somebody who is involved in arts, he talked very intriguingly about demodernization, something <laughs> I presume very important uh, today, this COVID and, and something that we should come back to. And then he also talked about being in common. So uh, there was, um, I mean, those topics, what was also quite interesting was that the moderator, apart from writing what they were saying, would constantly make a connections, like visually, with the, with the pen, he would make a connection between one speaker and another when they talk about the same topic. And this would open a floor for other speakers to connect and talk about those specific topics. Last speaker was North Macedonian political theorist, Artan Sadiku, who talked about the labor and the time. And he was the one who, who very much talked about the concept itself of the actual Biennale and the idea of interesting times by saying that we are living in interesting times, but those, it's a very unfair now in 2019 to talk about interesting times because those interesting times in different regions are interesting for a very long time and it's just now as refugees are coming to our shores that are becoming interesting for us. In context of this, I felt that in a way that somehow whole idea about interesting times and the reflection of interesting times was very much played out differently in all these different national pavilions because we all understand those interesting times in a very different way yeah? and uh, sometimes i presume it's a quite uh, a difficult to communicate those so uh, in a way i knew that understanding southern eastern europe interesting times would be challenge for a visitor who has no idea about the past of let's say ex-Yugoslavia or does not know much about events which are related to that system. So therefore, I try to give this elaborate, bigger project, which can serve in kind of raising awareness about certain issues, which I found uh, important and valuable during the time of socialism in ex-Yugoslavia and Northern Macedonia. There are lots of directions I could take that as well. Um, <laughs> Mm -hmm. can, we, can we talk here about the subtle subversion mm -hmm. element of the project mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. some of your other works have engaged mm -hmm. with the history of Yugoslav art and I don't know how much of an mm -hmm. overview to give here but obviously Yugoslavia was socialist federation of socialist republics um, mm -hmm. but also was was non-aligned you know famously broke with Moscow mm. in the 1950s I think possibly mm -hmm. even the late 40s mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. one of the ways in which Yugoslavia differentiated itself from the Soviet bloc was a much more liberated arts policy I think mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. led to a really great flowering of Yugoslav particularly mm -hmm. visual art and film in mm -hmm. the 60s mm -hmm. and 70s uh, mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking of filmmakers mm -hmm. like Dusan Makovayev and mm -hmm. the Yugoslav black wave mm -hmm. film movement, mm -hmm. uh, including filmmakers mm -hmm. like Zelimir Zilnik. Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. uh, who both came through in the 1960s. There were two mm -hmm. centers of visual art in Belgrade uh, and Zagreb. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you have made one work called um, International Baroque, reenacting a Marina mm -hmm. Abramovich performance. Mm -hmm. You've also made a visual work which references the great Croatian artist Mladen Stalinovic, who mm -hmm. had a piece of work mm -hmm. declaring in English, an artist who cannot speak English is no artist at all. And you responded mm -hmm. with a banner saying a worker who cannot speak English is no worker at all. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's subversion to red and um, the subtle subversion part mm -hmm. of this. You made some sculptures that, you know, recreated or referenced a lot of works that were inspired by artworks from the Museum of Contemporary Art in Skopje. Mm -hmm. The history of these is particularly mm -hmm. interesting. Um, mm -hmm. All of the works that you reference were donated to the museum after mm -hmm. this really devastating earthquake in Skopje in 1963, which mm -hmm. killed more than a thousand people and mm -hmm. destroyed somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of the city. The mm -hmm. city was was rebuilt uh, according to plans by the Japanese architect um, Kendo Tanga. Mm -hmm. But the art collection was was rebuilt with these works that were donated. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could talk here about, you know, how you specifically responded to that collection of works in Skopje that were all from the, um, well, no, from the 1960s, I think, through to the um, the 1980s. Mm -hmm. I think I was the most interested in your uh, kind of semi-recreation of, of a mural by an artist called uh, mm -hmm. Zverko Lazeski uh -huh. in, the, in the telecoms building in Skopje uh -huh. that got destroyed mm -hmm. by a fire in 2013. So maybe we could talk about this, mm -hmm. this process mm -hmm. of recreating these largely Macedonian mm -hmm. um, artworks and what that brought mm -hmm. to the project. Yes, I mean, you, you are really right that, that during the time of Yugoslavia, there was a very specific cultural climate. So in a way, Yugoslav political elite had some kind of a, almost like a agreement with the, with the cultural workers that they were somehow appreciated in a way to do what they creatively, what they desired. And uh, in a way, they were very much, of course, in a line with, with the happening, in a line of happenings with the European Western art. I mean, very interestingly, in this catalog I have, I have a writing from artist you mentioned, Borko Lazinski, who was mainly a, a mural painter and very active during the time of socialism. Uh, he also worked in many different countries, but, but his work in Macedonia was very important because he painted all, almost all public buildings and we grew up with, with his work. And uh, in a way, this quite beautiful letter that he addressed to the government of Northern Macedonia, then the Republic of Macedonia, uh, was made in the 50s, where he very directly and in a very beautiful, almost like writers-like manner, explains how we have to, in the same time, appreciate the ideals and the idealism of socialism and communist idea, ideas and so on. But at the same time, we cannot stay blind for the history of art and we cannot stay blind for Western art. So that it should be, uh, there should be a combination between the two and mutual respect. And in a way, I felt that 
this letter was very important because sometimes, even in today's world, we don't see such a bold moves. Like, for example, it would be very difficult for me as an artist now to say and to advise a government how we should react differently toward cultural workers in any country you want. So it, it's this freedom and still respect and appreciation of opinion by the cultural workers was something very, I presume, unique for, the, for this Yugoslav scenario. So basically, uh, in a way, I somehow wanted to return back to those moments, which I found very important, because the ways how the artists work shaped the history also shaped the artists, including me, that came after this, after this important period in 60s, 70s, 80s. So what happened in Yugoslavia that art was not censored? Yes, some of the artists were censored, but most of the artists somehow found a way through it and they created this very avant-garde and, and really quite provocative especially move, movies, like you mentioned, in the Black Wave. And somehow 70s and 80s were so important that it was important for me to somehow, through my work, talk about the work about, of others, those artists who, who are somewhere now forgotten, part of history books, but of course, they exist, their work exists in books and museums and somehow do not have contact with, with, the, with the wider audience. Also, uh, something which was for me quite interesting in all of this, that the art, which was quite underground in 80s in Yugoslavia, has become a mainstream. I was talking a few days ago with a dear friend and curator and somebody with whom I collaborated a lot, Lina Jubirkovic, she lives in London too, Juverovic, sorry, and she in a way said, I could not make a difference. What is painting? What is concert? What is like political speech? Because we all witnessed culture as one. And this was what was 80s for us, very important times. And we all listened to this underground I mean, they were not angry, but they became mainstream watching best movies and the idea of becoming better and uh, becoming a good artist, an artist who is not talking about something irrelevant, but talking about the big topics like the politics, like the society, like was very important. I don't remember that we had until 80s, we did not have any entertainment movies. There was like something which was completely unexistent. So all the films were super good. And in a way, this is something that we grew up with and somehow felt this need to address that. In a way, I tried to address the work by this artist by talking through specific artworks. How I talked about them was um, in a way that I tried to recreate them, but of course, they're not recreations, that they are my own interpretation of the work of specific artists. And uh, most of the artworks are quite abstract. They're from 60s, so maybe they would not be something so groundbreaking in a general sense, but they were groundbreaking that they represented a lot within a local context. So there were a few artists that I tried to reference. For example, 
Macedonian artist as Boris Nikolovsky, who created uh, this very abstract, like geometric shape sculptures. And why I have chosen him, like all other artists, I have picked up on something very specific in their work. For example, this artist created this very abstract artworks, and then he basically in a one point of his life, he decided that he would like to do something completely else, like create completely different sculptures. So he used these old sculptures to recreate them into something completely else. And now we have only 13 of his sculptures from this period, from the 60s. And for me, this was very brave. So I felt, well, do we have, as an artist today, have a chance to be something to work in one way and then suddenly say, well, I don't know, I'm not really inspired by this. Can I turn and do something completely else and do it still well and be respected? So this was one of the comments on the openness of art audience and the museum to accept this change, which naturally happens within the artist. Second artist, uh, Jordan Drabulovsky, who was probably one of the most prominent Macedonian artists, and he was creating very, very minimalist sculptures, and he was very respected and during the time that he was alive, and he created this with his wife, Iiskara uh, Grabulovska, this beautiful, quite known monument, uh, Macedonium it's called, and it's one of these great monuments which are this sculptural architectural objects which you can enter and it, it's a really beautiful piece of work i really advise everybody to see it and in a, in a way what i did with his work was that he was working in a minimalist way and sometimes his shapes were he would shape stones in a form of let's say a bowl or something else very minimally and then as i was preparing myself for Venice Biennale, I would go home, go to museum, go to workshop and so on. And as I was walking on the street, I noticed this round shape object, stone object, which were used like a barriers for the cars, for cars not to pass. And then one of those stones resembled to me to one of the shapes that uh, Grabulovsky created, one of these heads, how he used to call them. And in a way, this was again, playfulness on my side to how as an artist, you can have respect for your idols, but also you can somehow find a way to crush somehow that, that respect, I presume. And the last work that I very much appreciate, and it's artist who was very well established, Olga Jevrich. She is the only one who is uh, not Macedonian, but in a way, of course, I reflected on this Macedonian artist because this was part of my upbringing. I grew up looking at their work in the museum. I also was a family friend of some of the art. I mean, my parents were friends with some of the artists. So I, this was my art education, maybe more than an academy or something else. And then Olga Yevich was, she was one of the artists that represented Yugoslav Pavilion in the 60s. And then she was seen as one of the, like a new artist, young artist that are creating a new ways of thinking on European level. So her work is a very specific. And she refers to Second World War. She uses 
broken objects, metals. She used this concrete, like three clumps, because it resembles to her to this, like uh, how the Belgrade was left, the, the, the urban space left after the bombing. So there was a, a lot of references, but the work is very abstract and at the same time creates this feeling of somehow being placed in this very unusual situation of this afterworld war urban environment. So somehow I referred to her work in trying to recreate these objects. But what I used are all the materials that I found around this new build. I mean, they're not new builds. They're these buildings which have been built after the earthquake you mentioned in, in 60s. And in a way, those buildings now are not new anymore. They're quite, unfortunately, represent a neglect by the people, by the citizen, by citizens, by the people who should be responsible for them. And I collected these metals that are hanging around from the building, some concrete and then recreated in a way to show this kind of a new catastrophe like Olga Yevich represented the catastrophe of the Second World War, I represented the catastrophe which happened, unfortunately, during this transitional period in Yugoslavia, where everything which was built during socialist times was left to be just ruined, especially taking into account the, the factories which were left completely. People were made without jobs. They were left to just, they were demolished completely by time. So this is another sad story that happened during these times of transition from socialist times into this new liberalism or whatever, how we can call it, I don't really know. And the last and the work you mentioned, which was very personal. And I, in a way, never talk personally about things because in a way... As a Yugoslav artist, we refer to society, we refer to bigger picture. It's always hard to talk about ourselves, and I don't know why is that, but we always see this bigger picture as more appealing and easier to talk about. And when I was a young artist, I was always thinking like, oh, I have so many things that I would like, and I feel urged to talk about my personal background, about, but somehow... I always felt, well, I don't know how that refers, which is, of course, very wrong how that refers to others. But somehow this work was inspired by very personal events. When I was young, very young, like 10 years old, I moved from Bosnia, from Sarajevo to Macedonia. And this was just the personal reasons. My parents divorced. My mother was born and brought up in Skopje, Macedonia, and she fell in love in this charming boy from Sarajevo. They were married, they divorced, and I was about nine, ten years old. My brother stayed with my father when we moved back to Skopje, and the closest connection, we did not have internet or anything at those times in the 80s, so we would go to send the letters to my brothers and brother and these packages with the sweets and drawings that I made for him and everything, and we would always go to main post office. And this main post office was really place of connection to my brother. Like it was a link to him somehow. And for me, this post office represented everything that Skopje is. So I would go in this summer 
afternoons in Skopje is, is really a warm city. So I would go and, and it would be this orange, yellow light on this big streets. The city was all modern because it was, most of it was rebuilt in 60s with this idea of the new, of idea of new modernism. Half of the buildings were like this brutalist style, which was for me something very science fiction and looking great. And then I would arrive to this, the best example of brutalist uh, building in Skopje. The best, of course, for a child, because it, it's oval. It has this round shape windows it has this great almost like a dome-like center where you can just hear how letters are handled or you can hear the stamps just being pressed and which will echo in this gigantic space and then above our head was this stunning mural of which was 125 meters all in this warm red colors as as the sun outside and this was one of the murals by this artist that we mentioned, Volker Lazeski. And it was something that was a place of, it was my home. I felt like it because I was closest to my brother when I was in this space. And what followed in 2000, and oh, no, I might make a mistake. I think it was 2013. Uh, there was a fire in this post office and all of the mural was burned. I was in London when this happened, and of course, it was a great sadness. I was really sad about this. And of course, all citizens of Skopje remembered this mural, and it was a, like a hard cut in their life. And in a way, this reflected something which was going on for already quite a few times in an urban area of Skopje, that all this modernist heritage has been reappropriated, has been changed to somehow fit new government of the time, uh, which was more neoclassicism and so on and so on. And in a way, I felt uh, that something needs to be done. Then in few years after I returned from London to Skopje and we stayed with my family for a few years there because I felt urge and I always felt it's not something when I was not living physically, being in Macedonia physically, that I ever like cut myself away from what is happening or from working on specific topics which are related to the area. But I really felt that I need to go back in order to somehow even more address those issues. And my first going back was I tried, I was invited for an exhibition to do a public work. And the first idea that crossed my mind was that I really would like to recreate this work of art. And apart from technically being quite difficult to recreate somebody's work, here I try to be very close to this, how the artist painted and respect his style. I also felt that maybe it might be quite bizarre to somehow to redo this. So what I did, as I was looking at different pieces of this artwork on my computer screen in order to recreate them, I would zoom them differently. So then I have this, for now, there are like seven, eight works that just inserts from this 
gigantic mural, which are zoomed differently. Not zoomed, but which are different scale. So one is one to one, one is one to five. So even if you put them all together, they will never fit perfectly. So in a way, it represents that we could never go back to whatever we look, be system, be artworks. We could never recreate them, but we always need to look further. But also there is no need to call it completely erase a history like it happened in Yugoslavia after the, the socialism so sharply and to look into something new with not really knowing why. So in a way, somehow this work also triggers one of the work, quite important topics for me that I come from time to time, which is the notion of solidarity. Because in a way I felt that this is some kind of a solidarity that I would do solidarity, which are something which I can, as an artist, give back to the city. At the same time, I also have call from other artists from Macedonia that saw this as a great opportunity to somehow help me to do this for no fee, because we all would like this work of art to be present in our life, but also because we all feel that we should not erase somehow the past. It should be there as a very strong reference as it is. And in a way, somehow, sometimes, as you already mentioned, I come back to certain topics and certain artists and their work. And, and maybe one of the artists, maybe the, the, the name that everybody would recognize is Marina Abramovic. And I recreated two works of art that she did. One is International Baroque which she represented in Venice Biennale when she, when she was cleaning the bones. And the second work of art that I recreated, and maybe in this context I will focus on the second one, which is called Thomas Lip. And she created this work of art in 75. And what she did, she made, I think, incision, inscribed on her body like the communist red star with a razor. And what I did, and I call this work Euro. <laughs> I inscribed Euro sign on my stomach. So this was 2007. And in a way, why I did this, I think this work relates more to these topics of socialism, transformations which happened in post-socialist Yugoslavia and so on. And I made this act in kind of, I faked it. I did not really <laughs> cut myself, not because I was like, scared to do it, but it was more that I felt at the time of this transformation of the societies, of this ex-socialist societies, that we are trying to transform ourselves very fakely. We are not really looking, the transformation happens mainly in the area of becoming neoliberal, becoming uh, cruelest in a way, how we make money. There is no ethics while doing that. We become careless about our neighbor and so and so on. We adopt some things which are just a surface and the bad ones, unfortunately. And because of that, I somehow felt that this change is not really adequate one. Also, we had this fact that people just buying things, buying machines, buying cars, buying, it's all about, you know, having this glamorous lifestyle. And it still lasts, it still 
lasting and it doesn't, we do not stop. And in a way, I felt that I hate Corona and I address how much I hate it. <laughs> but also I felt that in a way, there was a positive aspect that we were all enclosed. We all understood that we can also live without all these glitzy things and that we can all refer look deeper into ourselves, reflect ourselves, read some of the books that we just bought and just left them there, or, you know, try to do something else. And somehow I felt that maybe it wasn't so bad in socialism that we had the five products and that we were not burdened which, which type of cornflakes I'm going to buy today. So we just focus on more important things. Of course, this is quite banal, but somehow I felt that maybe we should kind of also address those things. Also, the, the other work you mentioned, the work by Greg Delinovich, was somehow related to other works that I was very, very active in creating and doing while I was living in London. And also after that, I really felt that the situation of a migrant or somebody that moved I mean, I also consider myself one of those because first I lived in Bosnia and Herzegovina, then I moved to Macedonia. It wasn't a big difference. It's a quite similar, but also there are differences. And then I moved to London and this was very new. And of course, wherever I moved, I tried to integrate. I really, when I came to London, I really wanted to be a Londoner. I really loved it. And of course, then I, you come to a point that you understand that you are who you are and you are living in it in somehow it's all also pointless to try to be something else so it's it's somehow very important to understand the, the position of somebody who has arrived and somehow give a voice so therefore i really somehow try in many many works of art to address the idea of or the position of somebody who have changed the place of life, who has migrated, be it like voluntarily or not being voluntarily. And one of those attempts was with the work of Delinovich, whom I knew, and I asked him, can I borrow this work of art, which I really think it's a great work of art. Artists who cannot speak English is not an artist, but I change just word artist with the word worker in a way to somehow ask and to talk about the idea of migrant worker and what happens when they move and how they uh, find their ways and this was an exhibition which i first time installed in macedonia then second time was installed in zagreb and uh, talks about also this that somehow we as foreigners are expecting one scenario and then we face completely different scenario we are faced with the idea that somehow we are not always accepted and the whole work somehow it was again quite larger installation and starts with this big like a queue and you enter the gallery through this like airport queue that we all queue to for our metal things to be checked in those uh, machines. And in order to get to the gallery space, you go through this maze, a labyrinth of this kind of directed movement through the space, which somehow creates you to feel that you will be put into this maze that you cannot easily 
find your way through and things will be new because when you move, I felt like being reborn. I felt that, you know, I have to somehow now start everything from a scratch, which is happening again now when I <laughs> moved to Copenhagen. That, But probably I moved here with the clear idea that somehow my identity is that. And, you know, I will try to communicate through this rather than as in those two other instances in a, uh, before I felt that I really have to integrate and I have to become somebody else, which is a very difficult process, I think. Well, obviously there's a lot more we could talk about there. You've, you've done so many projects and they're all listed on your website. So I would direct our listeners to find your site and read up more on Subversion to Red and all your other projects. Nada, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you too. <laughs> pleasure. Listeners, we'll be doing two more of these sessions in this first series. So the next one will be with the Dutch visual art collective Metahaven. That will be coming soon. As ever, you can find us on Twitter at sweet underscore 212. Find us on Facebook. You can find us on iTunes, you can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash sweet-212. Subscribe to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash sweet-212. I've been your host, Juliet Jakes. Thanks a lot for listening. Take care. Goodbye.